The most stabilizing thing in my life was worship music. Was when I picked up my guitar or put on a CD or something of of these worship songs or, or even in the church service. It was so stabilizing for me, like this reassuring truth that we were singing. And so I adopted that pretty early on, and I've never lost the joy of that. I love to sing to God, and I love to lead other people to sing to Him, and I love the, the craft of contending for a song. Welcome to the Influencers Podcast. I'm Scott Young with co-host Dave Donaldson, who is out on assignment today. But we have a fascinating podcast for you today. You know, the Bible says that King David was a man after God's own heart because his soul was filled with poetry and music. And today's guest, Matt Redman, is a man that's filled with poetry, music, and creativity. It's more than likely that words that Matt has written have been in your mouth and even in your soul, uh, coming back to the heart of worship, blessed be your name, uh, our God, 10,000 Reasons. He's a Grammy award-winning worship leader, songwriter. He's traveled the world, lifting up Jesus in South Africa, Japan, India, Australia, Czech Republic, and others. Uh, He's not only an artist with his music, he's an author uh, with spoken word. He does a podcast, Redmond and Riddle, with his friend Jeremy And uh, we're just so glad, Matt, that you've joined us today. And I really hope people listen to the conversation because there's some good music and creativity in the souls that are listening. Maybe the next great song is sitting out there just waiting to be released. And as we talk with Matt, we're going to talk about creativity. We're going to talk about what the Lord has been doing in his life. But uh, Matt, thank you for joining us. We're glad you're here on The Influencers. Absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you. Our worship leader in the community that I'm in here, uh, Mark Groover, I was talking with him earlier today, and I said, hey, if you had uh, one chance to ask Matt Redman a question, what would it be? And he said, listen, I've read it, but I would love to hear Matt unpack the story behind The Heart of Worship, a song that has touched so many people. And can we just start there, Matt? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that song goes back a while now, over a couple of decades, and it's interesting because it had a bit of a resurgence during the lockdown period it seemed a lot of people were messaging me hey we're singing this song again and I think something about the lyric when the music fades all is stripped away and you know and just coming back to the heart of worship making about Jesus it it really um, became a uh, a poignant lyric again for some people and so I started leading it myself too but the story goes like this I was in a church in a place called Watford in the UK, and we had a lot of young people in our church. We were really trying to reach youth culture, and worship music was a real big deal for us. We loved to sing to God together. We loved to draw near to him through songs, and it was a big part of when we got together. The music was a real big thing. But the pastor felt that along the way, somehow, we'd lost our vision for what that really should be, and it had become a little bit of a spectator sport a little bit of a consumer culture around it. You know, is this, do I like this song? I don't like that song. I like this song. I don't like that worship leader. I like this one. Is it too loud? Is it too quiet? And the point being that when we come to bring uh, an offering to God, are we are we really doing that? Are we just coming to receive or are we coming through the doors of the, that church building ready to bring him something um, and something meaningful and 
and pure and real and spiritual. And, and so the pastor did quite a full-on intense thing. Instead of just trying to help us navigate back there slowly, he actually said, right, what we're going to do for next week, we're going to pack down the sound system. We're going to take all the instruments out of the room. And we're going to just show up with our hearts, our voices, and our Bibles and just see if we can still find our way to the place of praise together. Wow. And obviously, it's quite a radical thing to do. Mm-hmm. And I was a little shocked by it, but also thinking, what's my role? I was the worship leader here. Am I fired? You know, <laughs> what's the deal here? But we showed up, and it was a little bit awkward at first, if I'm honest. But slowly but surely, something beautiful began to emerge, and we found our way back to that place of praise if to back to the heart of worship yeah and so the song literally just describes what happens when the music fades all is stripped away and i simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart i'll bring you more than a song for a song itself is not what you've required you mm-hmm. search much deeper within through the way things appear you're looking into my heart and the chorus i'm coming back to the worship and it's interesting because it was very literal for us i was literally mm-hmm. describing what happened but it seemed like lots of churches around the world resonated with the idea of the song and the God was speaking the same thing to them, maybe not in such a literal way, but I think that's why the song started to fly around a bit. And I think why it resurged during the uh, pandemic because so much was stripped away and yeah. the lyrics of the song became so, that people didn't have buildings even that they could come into and they had to find a way to find God, which is what you talked about, with yeah. less or in a different way. Yes, absolutely. Now, you, Watford, is that, a, that that's not a large, booming church? <laughs> well, at the town of Watford, people wouldn't really know it unless you follow Premier League football. They're not even in the Premier League right now, but they, they got demoted. But they will be one day. But you might know um, George Michael was from there, Elton John and Ginger Spice. And apart from that, people would have no reason to know that town probably. You've led worship in small venues yeah. than in, in stadiums. Just someone listening, what's the difference between worshiping in a, with a small group and worshiping with thousands of people and leading those venues? I mean, the bigger one's more complicated. There's a lot more to distract you, you know, oh. whether it be, you know, sound checking and making sure you're, is a good, you know, the, the sound you're getting um, is good. And whether you're trying to figure out where people are at in the room, the bigger room, that's harder to do. Um, so many things like that. And, and I guess in some ways, even on a heart level, a stage can be a bit more disorientating. You know, you can, um, you can trip up a little more easier when it comes to just remembering this isn't about you, never has been, never will be. Yeah. This is about Jesus. Sometimes the bigger the stage, the more you have to put those reminders in place of, hey, I'm here to serve, not to be served. And this isn't, I'm not the center here. I'm not the focus. This is not happening to make me feel good. I'm trying to lead people into the, the, the worship of Jesus. And that's an amazing privilege to get to do so. And the, some of the smaller moments, um, yeah, just this, they're less complicated, a little more simple and organic. And um, but I think the heart of the same, uh, the heart of both is the same. Really, you might have some different skills. Going to lead a bit bigger in a bigger arena, try and get everyone on the same page. You wouldn't want to be quite so present and strong, maybe in a small room. But the heart of it is the same. You're just trying to 
give people a song so they can talk to God. You're just trying to help people see God and sing to him in as pure a way as possible. Now, you, you were born in England. You now live in California. You've led worship in so many different countries and different cultures. Uh, do you find the different cultures, when, as you're trying to lead different cultures towards God, um, do you have to contextualize your worship? What happens when you travel the world, world and lift up Jesus? Yeah, it's interesting because so much of the culture that we would know here in America, for example, has traveled. And so you show up in Dubai and someone's wearing all the traditional um, kind of clothes for there, but they're wearing an Angels baseball cap and got some Nike sneakers on, you know. <laughs> or you show up in a, a township in South Africa and you go into a little hut of a house there and, you know, on the walls of Manchester United poster and <laughs> maybe one of... Uh, Kanye or someone like that as well. And you're like, man, it's interesting how this global music, sport, youth culture does seem to travel um, so far around the place. And um, so in one way, that makes it a lot easier mm -hmm. um, for someone like me showing up. Um, but in another way, when you can contextualize it in a meaningful way, it's great. I mean, tiny little funny musical way. We did it one time, went to Hawaii and uh, we had a mandolin part in our song, 10,000 Reasons. And we we're like, we're in Hawaii. We're not going to do mandolin. We're going to do ukulele here. So, so tiny little ways like that. Other things I'll do, uh, if I'm going somewhere where they speak a different language, I'll try and learn at least one or two of the songs, the choruses, at least um, in that language. People seem to love it when you've made an effort to sing, sing in their, in their language. Um, or maybe use a choir from that country. So there's different ways you can do it. Yeah, I, d I definitely don't want to be that. Here we come from the West. We're going to, yeah. you know, trample all over what you're doing with what we're doing. Uh, but at the same time, there is a recognition that some of the songs and the sounds and the style has traveled there and that and has been adopted and don't want to fight yeah. against that. As an artist, do you enjoy the, the creative side of writing, and producing or the live audience experience or combination? What, 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 what do you really find your joy and your passion? I love it all, to be honest. Yes. I mean, I, I found like at a very young age, songs were a great way of me talking to God. Some people like mm. to journal, some people paint, some people do what they do. For me, if I sit down with a Bible and a guitar, it's a very helpful way for me to process my life mm. and for me to pray to God. And, you know, I, I really started doing that because I needed to. I had a turbulent childhood and teenage years, a lot of family drama and chaos going on. And the most stabilizing thing in my life was worship music, was when I picked up my guitar or put on a CD or something of, of these worship songs or, or even in the church service, it was so stabilizing for me, like this reassuring truth that we were singing. And so I adopted that pretty early on, and I've never lost the joy of that. I love to sing to God, and I love to lead other people to sing to him. And I love the, the craft of contending for a song. Mm. Actually, just before I hopped on this interview with you, I was on a three-hour Zoom uh, with some friends in England songwriting together. And it felt like we'd spent 30 minutes. I mean, I was actually woke up a little tired, 
and I was songwriting a couple more times this week, so I, I didn't go into it with masses of ideas. But 10 minutes in, I'm fully locked in. I'm loving it. Things are flowing. And what feels like 30 minutes was three hours. And I, I love it. I've been doing this for three decades. And I, I absolutely love that process of trying to find a way, uh, be it through melody or, or new language, a way to talk to God, trying to put a universal theme in a unique way, find a fresh way to sing to him. You use the phrase uh, contending for a song. Yeah. What does that mean when you're with the other creatives, like yeah. processing? What does that mean? The band U2 said that sometimes songwriting is like a playground and other times it's like a boxing ring. And it's so true. <laughs> There's times where a song just flows out effortlessly. It's nothing but fun. And, you know, I love those times. But there's a lot of times, too, where you have to contend for something. There's a bit more effort and, blood, you know, maybe blood, sweat, tears. Maybe not blood yet, but definitely sweat and tears. And, you know, you're trying to contend to, am I saying what I really want to say? Um, mm -hmm. Or am I saying this a new way? that feels fresh is going to bring this theme alive? Or is this melody really good enough? Or is the chorus as strong as it could be? Or am I just being lazy making things rhyme because it's easy? You know, he died for me upon a tree at Calvary <laughs> when he was 33. You know, it's like, come on, you, you got to try harder than that. And there's something about getting in that mindset of, I'm not just going to see what happens to me here, but I'm going to contend for something. I'm going to fight for something. If you think about, you know, uh, some of the great artists from the past, you know, I think the Mona Lisa took like three years to paint or something like yeah. that. And it's a constant um, journey of visiting and revisiting and visiting and revisiting and coming back to it. Is this right? And I, I love that. I love writing a song. For me, Blessed Be Your Name that you mentioned uh, earlier. Uh, I wrote that and with my wife, Beth, and it was a three-month journey, that song, mm. because I really had a strong theme that I wanted to speak into, and I didn't want to stop writing this song until it felt right. It started as a fast song. I thought, this isn't the right tempo or approach for this song. It's too, it's too gutsy a lyric. This is singing about even in the worst times of your life, can I still find my way to trust God and bring him a song of faith and praise? And so it can't feel too happy, this song. And then it became a slower song, more like a ballad. And then it had lost the heartbeat of the song and the guts of the song. And so it became this kind of mid-tempo anthem. And then the lyrics started flowing. And I felt like I contended for that song. I felt like, mm. wow, that was... That felt like hard work, but got there in the end. So is every song and the way you approach it a different creative process? Are they all like unique babies that you give yeah. birth to? Yeah. Well, the weird thing is you write all these songs and you never have a clue which ones are going to get wings and connect with people. And I'm not very good at you know, figuring it out for myself, heart of worship. I wasn't ever going to lead in my congregation. I thought it was just a personal song for me. 10,000 reasons I wasn't going to put on the album. It was the producer who said, hey, I don't mind what song we're dropping, but this one needs to go on the album. So, so the first thing is figuring out which ones, you can have ones which feel very precious to you, but actually are they going to be helpful to other people? And 
the biggest thing, especially if you're writing a lot of songs, is, is to try and not fall into a formula. Hmm. Because you are going to learn a craft, a process. You're going to learn things that are helpful solutions along the way or a, a little roadmap for where you're going. But if you, if you stick to them too rigidly, you, would go, you would go against the rules of creativity, really. You know, it can't all be formulaic. Um, and so for me, that just means keep changing things up in the equation. Maybe it's a new co-writer you haven't written with before. Maybe you give yourself a time limit to write the song because you never did that before. Maybe you decide, right, no guitars on the song, just going to sit at a piano. Just keep changing something up in the equation because that's the way to guarantee Brilliant. that um, something will show up different in, 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 in when the song appears. And, um, yeah, every song, every song is so different. Do you write some songs that you think are just for you? Or yeah, are you always I mean, think, yeah, go ahead. I'm always thinking, I've always got one eye on the congregation. You know, I yeah. love writing songs to help people talk to God. And so they are going to have something of me and my story and my thoughts and feelings in there for sure. But for me, when I feel like I cracked the code, it's when I wrote something that was a heart cry for me. It's real to me. It's, it's really the overflow of my heart. And yet, I've written it in such a way that it's not so specific that other people can't attach their own stories to it. Mm -hmm. So really, a, a song like Blessed Be Your Name, I mean, a couple of things in the mix there. Had a turbulent upbringing, really didn't understand what was going on in my life, but somehow I knew enough about God to know he was good and he hadn't taken his eyes off me and he was still in control. And so... That's showing up in the mix of that song. Uh, we wrote that song shortly after 9-11. We were living in America at the time. And that for sure shows up in, in that song. Um, but I, I don't know if you could look at that song and say, oh, that was about Matt's testimony and his mm -hmm. life story. Or you could look at it and say, oh, that song's about 9-11. But hopefully they're in there. Yeah. Um, but you can apply your own circumstances to the song. So trying to write heartfelt and specifically enough so they feel real and like real life but not so specifically someone else's story can't be you know be found in them too so you've written recently um and uh, we were talking just before we started recording uh, the lamb of god uh album and you recorded yeah. it at uh the mission at san juan capistrano which is yeah. from the 1700s. I think that all has some significance and maybe some have heard or some are tapping into that new creative uh, energy and song and music that's coming out of you. What, what do you hope people will connect with with that album? I mean, I love that we got to record in that setting. I think founded 1776. It's basically that mission is the uh, birthplace of what we now would call Orange County. The, the chapel there is the oldest standing working building in the whole of California. So to be in a setting like that and to get to sing brand new songs is just an absolute treat for, treat for me. I love it. The old and new coming together is, I, I absolutely love that. And I'm, I'm hoping people will um, see something more of the heart of God for them through this and then sing their hearts out to him. And interestingly, I don't usually go into an album with a theme in mind. But with this album, these songs about the cross, the centrality of the cross of Christ kept coming through so strong uh, to the point where I was fighting it, thinking I can't have a sixth song on this album about the cross. People are going to think I don't know about anything else. You know, this is... But I decided not to fight it and just to let that thread come through the record and 
So we have songs like Son of Suffering and King of Calvary, a song called Love Is This and a few others besides. And even the artwork of the record, uh, it was a photo I remember that my daughter had taken of a piece of art by an artist called David J.P. Hooker, who's at Wheaton College in Illinois. And he'd done this amazingly poignant piece of art where he took an old um, corpus statue of Christ, a, a statue of Christ on the cross from a derelict church. Uh, but then he also went around the college campus at Wheaton and he collected up all these bags of debris, knowing that in those bags would be human skin and skin cells and hair and and then he layered them all over this statue of Christ, the point being that all of our sin and all of us, all our shame was laid on Christ. And so the photo uh, on the front of the artwork of the album is, is of that. So from the, from the very artwork through to the songs, um, the album really centers on the cross of Christ. And so I hope people see the heartbeat of God for them. When Do you they, think when that's they, something that, that the, the, church, the church needs to be um, hearing about coming back to the cross, the importance of the cross at this juncture in our in our corporate walk with with God. I mean, for me, what I love is because you won't see a stronger um, echo of the heartbeat of God than at the cross. You know, you'll you'll discover the grace of God every day in your life under a moonlit sky, or walking beneath the ocean, or the waves, or the breeze in your face, or you know, fellowship with a friend. Um, reading a book that, you know, it, you, you can find God's kindness, generosity, and grace everywhere, but there's nowhere on earth and there's no place in history where you'll see it stronger than at Calvary. You know, the cross of Christ is the most intense um, place that we've ever seen the love of God in, in being demonstrated. And, and so that's what I hope people will get from this record. And you talked about recording at um, its old mission, and you used the phrase of combining the old and the new as a creative, and God is doing new things, bringing new music. Um, yeah. How do you find to balance, or maybe your responsibility, or an artist's responsibility? We have traditional, um, the cross is central and ancient. How do we combine the new things that God is doing, the new creativity, with the ancient traditions of worship. Yeah, that's a great point because one thing I love about being the church is we've got such a beautiful heritage and history and it would be to our detriment if we were to just ignore that and just carry on like with some 2023 club with our music. No, I mean, it's amazing to stand and sing our brand new songs to God, but then to think, wow, well, we're standing on the shoulders of giants here. Look at all these hymn writers who you know, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 250 years ago, writing about the same things we want to write about, singing about the th same things we want to say, but just in their own way. And, and we can take so much um, of the richness of what they're singing and learn from it, even steal from it sometimes. Some of these hymns, they're public domain. You can steal them. <laughs> Instead of getting sued, you actually get encouraged. You know, everyone's happy <laughs> that you're, you're digging out the hymns. Um, but even further than back, think, Think about how amazing it is that in the Bible we have this 3,000-year-old songbook. Right in the middle of the Bible, 150 songs would have been the hymn book of Jesus as he walked the earth. Yep. And you'll find every imaginable human emotion in there. You'll mm -hmm. find so much intensity around pain and around joy and angst and freedom and all sorts of other things besides. And it's just astonishing to me um, 
that what we do, when I sit down and write my songs, uh, I'm, I'm carrying it on that grand old thousands of years mm. old tradition of the people of God singing to God. You know, he, the people of God have always been a singing people. And actually the reason for that is because he's a singing God. We're told in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, that the Lord rejoices over you with singing. And so just as he loved us first and we love him in return, he sung over us first. And when we sing to him, we didn't even initiate that. When we sing our songs, we're just replying to the song of love he sung over us. So that's why I love this stuff. Really so beautiful. I love when you just said those words and they really hit me that he is a singing God and that he sings over us. Uh, you mentioned the, the um, song that you've recently done. It's on the album, uh, Son of Suffering, which was picked up by The Chosen. They used it as the finale for season three, and it's come together there. And that's probably going to introduce your music to even a uh, wider audience. But uh, just tell us a little bit about that song, Son of Suffering. What is it about? Yeah, it's a song about the cross, but it's a little deeper than that. It's also a song about how God identifies with our pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. And I was... In a songwriting camp, I was walking down towards the room where I was going to be writing with these three other writers. And I've been trying for a couple of years to write a song around blood, sweat, and tears. I was thinking about the sweat piece being that when Jesus turned over the tables in the temple. But I just couldn't pin this thing down. It seemed complicated. And walking to the room that day, I realized if I drop the sweat piece, this gets a whole lot easier. (laughs) That's the thing slowing me down here. And so... I was thinking, yeah, if I write a song, Blood and Tears, then it becomes a song about how God shows solidarity with our suffering, how he identifies with our pain, how it's not just that he has compassion from on high and feels sorry for us, but actually he knows what it is to walk this life and tread in the dust where we trod and face the things that we face. This isn't just, you know, um, compassion from afar. This is, he's been in the mix. He knows what this thing is. And, and so that became the theme of the song and just getting our hearts around this amazing mystery that this God who weeps, a God who even chose to bleed. I mean, it's almost unfathomable, isn't it? It's a complete mystery that one so strong and powerful, pure, perfect in every way, mm-hmm. chose to make himself so vulnerable. So as you've been walking, just listening to your music, you are you, you get deeper and deeper and deeper, which just shows spiritual growth. You talked about early uh, disappointments or challenges in your your life. When did you come to faith? Or was it always there and just kind of grew? Was there a, a moment that the lights came on and Christ became real? How did you become a man of faith? Yeah. So originally we didn't go to church, our family, but when we were quite young, my brother and I had so many of our friends going to church, we we said to our parents, hey, can you take us along to this church? And they did, and they became Christians, and that was good timing. And um, But actually, my dad uh, died when I was seven years old um, after that, and shortly after that, and he actually took his own life. So that was a bit of a double blow for me. You know, was it anything to do with me? Didn't he love us enough? All those questions. Yeah. I think actually it was depression that robbed him from us. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't make sense sense when you're in the middle of that I know that so but it was a tough time and my my mum remarried and this new guy was pretty abusive and you know things went downhill pretty fast and by the grace of God in that moment I, I feel like I knew enough about him to know that 
I, I don't get this. I don't understand this. I wouldn't want any of this to happen to us. But I do believe he's in control. I do believe somehow God's hand is sovereign. And I do believe his heart is for us. And I guess I knew enough in that moment to know those things. And it, it kept me afloat. Um, and actually, I gave my life to Christ when I was 10 years old. Mm-hmm. At Stocker Stadium in England, um, a preacher called Louis Palau, yeah. who since uh, then became a friend. And then he actually went to heaven last year. And I got to go and sing at his memorial. I'd done a few events with him, Central Park in New York and Times Square and several other things. And even that was amazing, thinking, yeah. God, I'm this little boy giving my life to you that night, 10 years old. And you know that a couple of decades later, I'm going to be introducing this preacher to the crowd in uh, Times Square after singing 10,000 Reasons. I mean, just God's kindness and wisdom and provision in all the little details is amazing. And so I started to sing to God because I needed to. I, I needed to find a way to keep my life afloat. You know, it was a it was a buoyancy thing. It was a stability thing. It was a way of keeping my head above the water on those days where it, nothing seemed to make sense and there was a lot of pain in the mix. And after a while, I figured out if you write these songs in the right way, it can help other people too. And for sure, there are people that are listening and they need exactly what you're expressing. They need to keep their head above water. They need to keep their nose above the horizon. And yeah. music could be a way that they find that uh, creative voice that God has put inside of them. If there's young young creatives that are listening, people that are saying, you know, I, I feel like there's something in my soul that I'd like to express to God. What advice would you give to both those who are creating music and then the worship leaders that stand on our stages and in our churches and lead people? What, what kind of things yeah. would you say to these guys? I mean, the first thing when you start out this, you're just, you're trying to find your voice. You know, you're trying to find how... How is lyrically, musically, how do I want to say this? And that's a great little journey. And, and most times you're not going to find that on your own. We're, we're built to be in community and we seem to be better together most times. And so now and again, I'll sit in a room and do a Lone Ranger thing and write a song on my own. But I love to have other people in the mix. You know, you bring out the best in each other. You sharpen each other. You learn how to lean into each other's gifts. So I'd say to a young person, if you're starting out, you know, find your voice, but also find your team, find your people. Is there a piano player? Is there a guitar player? Is there a lyricist? Or is it even your youth pastor or your pastor? Like, have other people's voices uh, in the mix there with you, and you can sharpen each other and grow in it. And then to anyone wanting to pursue this in a, in a pretty full-on way in this day and age, I think the big thing to remember is keep yourself little in the depths of your heart. That's a quote from a guy called Francois Fenelon. He was one of the uh, spiritual advisors to one of the King Louis of France. Keep yourself little in the depths of your hearts. This, this culture wants us to make much of ourselves. This culture wants us to big ourselves up and put ourselves in the spotlight. And there's encouragement after encouragement to do that. But that's not the way um, in Christianity. And especially if you're standing on a stage saying that you're pointing to Jesus and you want to make it all about him, then clearly there has to be another way. But the tricky part is we're living in a time where there's never been so many distractions. There's no, never been so many temptations or enticements to put yourself in the center, to make much of yourself. You know, social media, as an example, 
I mean, you can self-congratulate all day long on that thing. No one cares. You can self be self-absorbed. You can self-celebrate. Um, it seems like the filters that would normally be on in society, they're not on on social media. If I was to get up front of church and say, hey, guys, you know, I uh, just want to let you know I've got this new song out. and It was actually number one this week on this thing or that thing. And we sold this many copies. And, uh, you know, here's some quotes of people who love it. You'd be kicked out of that place in a heartbeat. But you can do that on social media. No one bats an eyelid. You, it doesn't even ring the alarm anymore. You know, and so when you're going into it as a young worship leader, you've got to be aware of that. You've got to think, right, I've got to have the values of the kingdom, the values of, of Christ as I go into this thing. I can't take on the values of so much of this world if I want to do this thing in a meaningful, pure, powerful way. So good. So you've been writing, creating for three decades plus. It was a, 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 an anchor of hope that helped you through difficult times as a, yeah. a young person, a developing uh, believer. What are the things that you know now as you've walked with this journey and with the Lord that you just wish, you know, I really wish, I wish I would have known that then when I was like, I, this was a big lesson that is really helping me now, but I wish I knew it when I was 20 years old. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a tricky question, honestly. I think it maybe would be to do with um, this thing that Eugene Peterson, the late Eugene Peterson said about prayer, which you can apply to songwriting. Um, he, he talks about that uh, in his book, Under the Unpredictable Plant. He's talking about Jonah in the belly of the fish. And he's, he says in that moment, he prays this intense prayer to God. But if you study it, not a word in it, not a phrase, a single phrase in that thing is original. It's all from the Psalms, but it's not just one Psalm or a couple of Psalms joined together. It's this little piece from this Psalm and this phrase from this Psalm and all your waves of break all your waves and breakers have swept over me from this psalm. And he said it's, it's like that he's fed on truth. And so when he's in this intense moment, mm. what comes out of him is passionate, but it's also it's absolutely guided by truth. And for me, I, when I heard that, I was like, that's it. That's the best way to write a worship song. I wasn't very good at sitting down and just say, take Psalm 70, I'm going to write a melody to this or... I'm going to take this chunk from this psalm. That wasn't my gift. When I saw that Eugene Peterson thing, I realized, oh, that's how I can do this thing. Feed on scripture, have it inform my life and my heart and my mind as much as I can. And then in my most intense moments, be it joy or pain, um, what's going to come out of me will be the overflow of the heart, but hopefully it will be very much guided by the truth of scripture. So good. So good, Matt. Just brilliant. I'd love to talk to you all day, but we can't. Uh, so I would, good love, to I would to you. like. I would love to uh, just invite you um, to pray for our um, family that's listening now, and uh, just lead us to the Lord and and give a blessing yeah. to us. I would love to, Father. Thank you for this day. I thank you that every day your grace and your mercy is flying at us from so many different angles and. I would imagine most of it we don't even recognize or realize or aware of. Uh, but for the ones that we're not aware of and for the ones that we are, we say thank you today. Yeah. We say thank you that we woke up to blessing upon blessing today and goodness and generosity that came from your heart. And if anything of what I've said today is helpful, 
I pray it will grow as a little seed in people's hearts and minds and do some good, bear some fruit. Anything wasn't helpful, let it just be fade away and be mm-hmm. forgotten. We only want what's uh, whole and true and comes from you. Uh, thank you so much for this day. I pray a blessing on every person listening. Amen. Amen. Now, if you want to connect with Matt, he just go to his website, mattredman.com. You'll find books. We didn't even get into the books, books he's written. Um, find his podcast there. But I want to thank you for just being with us on The Influencers today. And uh, thank you for joining us to all of our friends. Hey, share this. Such great material today. And keep listening to The Influencers podcast. We're here to see you, the influence of your life grow, to be salt in a world that needs your flavor, to be light in a dark world, and to bring hope where hope is needed. I'm Scott Young, and this is the Influencers Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Influencers Podcast on the Charisma Podcast Network. If you enjoy our content, we would love for you to subscribe and have the opportunity to tune in to future podcasts. You can follow us on all social media platforms at the Influencers Podcast Official. You can stay up to date, hear more inspiring content, and unlock your full potential as an influencer. Remember to use your influence to create lasting change that draws the world closer to Jesus.